Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you are listening from. Welcome to episode 62 of Three Blokes and Rugby League Podcast. This is our brand new podcasting format topic of the week. We started last week uh, highlighting squad numbers. I almost forgot what we highlighted then. It's been that long ago for over a week since the Easter period. But this week, we will be covering the 18th man substitute in the NRL that has just recently been brought in. Jed, mate, I'll fire it straight out to you. What do you think? How do you think it's been brought about? What's your thoughts on it, mate? I always think that the the reasons that it's been brought out are, are, are justified. Obviously, with the amount of injuries, especially the HIAs and, and concussions and the amount of talk that we've had about that, I feel like it's definitely justified. And I feel like if we go back to the uh, the Parramatta Cronulla game where they had off, they had no subs for the whole second half, not only that is then putting other players' welfare at risk because players such as like your Adam Woods your, and players like that are having to do more minutes and put their body at risk. So I feel like it's definitely justified. I don't know, Jimmy, I'm going to ask you because I'm not 100% too sure. How have they introduced it? Is it going to work? So I know there was talk about if you do bring in the 18th man, then the person that they come on for can't play the week after. Have those sort of details been ironed out yet? I don't think necessarily that last part has, but basically it's a case of when three players from your team have failed a HIA, you can use your 18th man. But the 18th man has to be considered an emerging player. So it's not like you can have a Roger Tuvasa-Shek who's coming back from injury and put him in at the 18th man, just maybe like a last-minute emergence of, of points that you need. But once again, they haven't determined the criteria of what an emerging player is. Joss, for you, mate, what, what's an emerging player? They haven't even said what an emerging player is. It's, is it someone who's never played NRL? Is it someone who's just primarily playing Queensland Cup? What 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 is an emerging player? Yeah, I'm not really sure because emerging players as well are going to vary at each club. Is there going to be a specific role put in place to say he must have played under X amount of games? Would you class Bradman Best as an emerging player? I bet he's only played an handful of NRL games. Or would you class prodigies like Sam Walker as a as an emerging player? For me, uh, I'm against the 18th man rule. I think I completely agree with what you're saying there, Jed, and I completely agree that with all this consideration to concussion, what we should have is needed. But when does it stop? What if you get four, what if you get four to five? All right, this weekend you play Cowboys get four injuries, so this emerging player comes on and he gets knocked out. What then? We'll have a 19th man week after. All right, we'll just carry on. Then we'll just name 13 blokes on bench with seven in reserve, and then coach can come on if everyone else is hurt. Coaches will begin to play against it as well. I, I just think oh, it's a tough one, but I, I think I'm against it. I think you, you can coach against it as well. You know, if if I go down late on in game and James has got a drop goal specialist who was this emerging player, I'll go down at 79 because I've got a head knock. You can't prove I haven't got a head knock. Bring him on, he slots it and wins the game. How are you going to feel if you're a coach then? What are your thoughts on Jamie? Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. That was the first thing I, I thought of when they brought this rule in because rules are always going to be kind of worked around by the NRL clubs. Whatever rule is brought in, when slowing the rook was brought in, Melbourne brought in the wrestle and, and, and everything like that. When when fatigue is brought in, you know, players, coaches will play on the fatigue rules and they'll do it for this. Players will cheat. Coaches will cheat. It's just part, we just know it's going to come to it. And I, I'm... I'm being, you know, my background is is the medical profession. I've worked a bit in, in physiotherapy, in 
the sports remit and that I've seen players get knocked out and something needs to be done about it. But making the 18th man rule purely off the basis of one weekend where two teams, rightly so, were down to either no subs or one sub, um, down to the head knocks, is, is dangerous. And Jed, I don't know how, how you get around it, but, you know, just because of one weekend you get an 18th man, what happens next weekend if four men get sent off? Do you then get all right, well, we need to do something about the referee. Is it, is it just a case of, of good luck or is it a case of something else? I think, obviously, luck does play a massive part of it because how many games do you know that you get free head knocks in a game? It's obviously very rare. We are getting more and more in the game, but that is purely because we're becoming more aware of it now. I feel like one fact, I don't know whether it'd be whether the logistics had worked to bring it in, but a neutral doctor who does... Because, obviously, a HIA is done by the own team's physios, I believe. Is that correct, Jamie? Say that again, sorry. Is there a head, not HIA assessment? Is it done by their own team's physio to yeah. pass them? Well, medical staff, not necessarily yeah. physio. But what I would bring in is that for a hit, if you're having this 18th man rule and you don't want it to be exploited, then HIAs must be conducted by a neutral authority. You must bring a doctor in who conducts it for both teams. And I feel by doing that, then you eliminate the players who can go down in the 79th. If I said, oh, I've got a head, not go off. Well, you're going to get either passed or failed by a neutral doctor who's impartial to both clubs and that will eliminate that element of it then. That's the avenue that I'd go down. I don't know if it's logistically possible. Obviously, I don't work within the NRL, so I don't know how that'd work. What's your thoughts on that, Joss? On the back of that then, so while they're stood there waiting for this um, non-biased doctor to come in, is this emerging sub allowed to come on and play? Who's coming on? What, what if we've got no one left on the bench? He goes off for an head assessment. Are you going to let this bloke play for five minutes, bag an hat trick, and then come back off because his mate's been faking? And if so, what consequences come into place if they find out that they've been lying? I don't know what your thoughts are with that, Jamie. Yeah, well, I mean, if it's a case of it, I think if a coach or if a club has been found using the HA rule to their advantage, then they almost need to be docked points or stripped points for the season because it is totally against the protocol and the morals of HIA. HIA is brought in to basically stop players from getting you know, early neurological diseases, a lessened life, for example. But I think that the danger of it is, and you two boys, you know, you've played rugby league much more than I've played rugby league ever. It's difficult because if, if you if you took James Fisher-Harris, if you took Josh Papaliti, AJ Brimson, any of these key players from clubs, and you sat them down today and said, right, we're going to give you two options. We're going to tell you, you cannot play rugby league ever again, but you can live until you're 90 years old. Or you can play rugby league with the risk of getting head knocks, but you might live until 70. I can probably guarantee they'll take a very good career in rugby league and live until 70 because they want to live in the moment. And that's what rugby league players are like. That's what sports players are like and athletes are like and, and humans are like. Yes, fair enough, there is that risk. But it's also, they, they will also take that risk. So that's why the NRL put all these protocols into place. But I think there is a point where it becomes too much sometimes and you don't, it's rugby league. It is rugby league. It is easily the most brutal sport on earth. We don't wear pads. You know, we don't have any stoppages in play for five minutes. We don't. It's not just purely contact, it's a collision sport. And, and, and Joss, do you agree that sometimes these rules are, are, are raised and raised and raised and raised to stop certain bodies within the NRL being litigated and sued against? Or are they trying to protect the players a bit too much? 
it's a tough one. I think now it's obviously where I said tonight. It sounds like I'm for saying concussion at home. It is, and I completely agree. Things need to be done, but I think it's a, it's a bit of an overreaction to one weekend, really. Um, I think we're trying to bubble that these players, and I understand the risks what come with it. But so does every man and his dog who's played the sport. You could break your leg and never play again. You could anything could happen to you. You could go look at Alex McKinnon for example. You could go into a tackle and come out wrong, and then your life's changed forever. It doesn't necessarily have to be a concussion. So why isn't the rules coming in about that? For me, I think it is. We're just trying to cover players a little bit too much, and I think there's coaches saying this, that and the other because it's not gone their way this week. And I understand concussion comes into it, injuries come into it and, you know, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But for me, I think it's just, we're just trying to look after them a little bit too. But obviously no one wants to be sued neither. But as you mentioned, Jamie, would a professional sports person in our sport then go on and sue the sport for, for anything what's happened? I don't personally think they would. I don't know about you, Jed. No, I think it is just part and parcel of it. And and just coming out, obviously, this is sort of like the opposite side of my argument. I kind of about switch sides a little bit. But we've all played rugby league, obviously, at amateur university level. I know for a, I can guarantee now that all all of us will, will have had a head knock that would have failed a HIA, but we have played on. At the NRL, they have the facilities, obviously, to, 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 to locate it. And a lot of protection is given to them now because they have the... Um, the facilities, the science behind it to protect them. But then obviously everyone else who plays rugby league, we don't have that, that protection. We just play it because we want to play it and we love the sport. Is it case now we've done as much as rugby league, the governing body NRL, they've done as much as they can to protect players. But now, like you say, is it becoming a case of that it's taken what we love out of the sport, the brutal aspect of it out of it? Because some, some of it is. I think if you, if you play in rugby league, you, you are unwillingly and subconsciously admitting that I am putting my body at risk and I, I, you have to face the consequences of whatever might happen with that. The NRL have done everything they can in certain aspects. Even we're bringing in this 18th man now. They've done everything they can to help you um, not have any life-threatening injuries or neurological issues later down the line. I don't think they can go any further. Players need to take that responsibility that we need to be, accept responsibility that we are willingly putting neurological issues and concussions and severe injuries later down the line as part and parcel of the sport that we play. And I think I, I don't see what else can now be done. I don't know about you, Jamie, if you've got any final points to make. No, I, I, it's, it's so difficult because I've seen it from a playing perspective. I've seen it from a medical perspective. I think that the the research and the protocols that are around concussion HIAs are excellent at the minute. And it's really good to see because nobody wants to see, take Kurt Mann at the weekend, Nobody wants to see Kurt Mann get knocked out and, and be brought around by the medical staff, goes off the field for five and then come back on. Everybody knows that he's not well enough to play and it's excellent that these protocols have been taken. And, and it's happening in soccer as well a lot. I think it's just slowly coming into that. I think the issue is when these players have retired and they're getting you know early onset memory loss, you know Parkinsonisms or like early onset dementias at 60, you've seen it a lot in rugby union and American football players and professional wrestlers actually as well, that there's, there's been a lot of backlash and, and litigation against these big organisations because they weren't taking the action, you know, in the 1980s, the 1970s and, and whatnot as well. But I think at least now if they can take the protocols seriously, you know, let's say Mitchell Moses, he's ta- he's going to take a lot of hammer in his career because, you know, he's he taking a ball lot into, in, into the line of defence a lot. He's taking big hits. I don't know. If he gets dementia at 60, for example... 
he can look at his career and said, look, I had the best medical protection I had possible. I took every risk knowing that I was having the risk of, of possible early onset head knocks and dementia. Um, and I was fine with that when I was corpus mentis and I could make decisions. I think that's the decision what the players in the 70s and the 80s didn't have. Um, so I don't know if that made much sense. I've, I don't know if I've answered my own question or not, not answered my own question, but I think at least now the protocols are in place, it stops players worrying in the future. And there's nothing, there's nothing stopping Nathan Cleary from saying, lads, I don't want to play the game. I'm scared of getting early onset dementia at 60. I'm retiring now. Is the, is the joss really, mate? And, and I think the protocols are in place there. And linking back to what we're here, the 18th man doesn't necessarily stop that, does it? No, not at all, mate. And I think, as you mentioned, the protocols are in place. You know, if they go off and fail this HIA, they're going to be out for an extended period of time then. They're not going to play a week after. Or if they are, it's going to be from a long turnaround. So I just think, for me, as we mentioned earlier, and I just don't think it's... Uh, I just can't see where it ends. There could be a new rule each week, pretty much, and we could just be going around in circles with it. You know, if you fail your HIA, you've got to come off and then unfortunately your team's got to deal with that. It'd be the same if you do a hammy. What if I'm running down ring and the hammy goes, someone going to come on from me then? No, we're not. I won't be running down wing anyway. But <laughs> That was my next point. Do it, do it, yeah. Um, <laughs> You've never run down a wing. I don't need to. Um, I just thought, for me, it's just part, injuries are part and parcel of the game. And, you know, this is why you do your conditioning sessions to last 18 minutes. But yeah, for me, I'm, I think I'm against the 18th man rule. Over to you, boys, to summarise. Yes, mate. And, and I, I think concussion in general is another topic of the week that we can do. But linking to the 18th man, for me, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm not totally against it. I'm not totally with it. If, I'm glad that the protocols are in place that it has to be three players who come off and it has to be an emerging player, whatever that means. But people will take advantage of it and it'll come back to bite them. I don't think they should make rules off the basis of, of one week's worth of injuries. If this was happening week after week after week for a full season, maybe yes, but it, it's not for me and hopefully it isn't, it isn't uh, taking advantage of too much. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I don't think a snap decision that changes, obviously, a lot of large aspects of the game should be making so quickly. They should have done, obviously, a little bit more research to see Obviously, if, if injuries and HIAs are becoming more prevalent, especially with the, the increased game time and obviously the speed of it, is that having an impact? And if so, then bring it in and bring it in with clear guidelines of what it is because obviously there's still some confusion around the emerging player. I think if a rule is brought into play, it should be crystal clear of what they can and can't do. And unfortunately, that hasn't really been done at the moment. But overall, I would say I am in favour of the 18th man, but I do agree with a lot of Joss and yourself has said. Superb stuff, lads. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed that. And um, I think it's definitely another topic in the future. Maybe we could get a medical professional uh, who is working in the game currently to come on to speak about in-game concussions as well. I think that'd be really interesting. But thank you very much, everybody that has listened to Topic of the Week this week regarding the 18th man in the NRL. We will be back on Monday with the NRL Round 5 Roundup and the Challenge Cup Roundup 2. Thank you very much for listening and we will catch you down the road.